the quintessential montage track. A theme that's a masterwork of funk and soul. And a cinematic classic that was almost cut from the film. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. We've got a very fun episode for you today as we're talking about songs that lived beyond the film. Our panel is breaking down three songs that, for one reason or another, had a life beyond the movie they were made for. And joining me for a deep dive into these big screen scores is, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and pianist, composer, and Soundfly CEO, Ian Temple. Ian was the perfect guest for this episode because in addition to being a fantastic composer who's also scored a couple films on his own, he really did spearhead the launch of our brand new course here at Soundfly, Intro to Scoring for Film and TV. In this expansive course that is live today, you're going to get walked through everything you need to know to start scoring the picture from how to compose your first demo to how to navigate the industry. This course features interviews with some amazing film scorers working in Hollywood and in independent film and media today. Amanda Jones, Sherry Chung, Gary Yershon, Ian Hultquist and Drum and Lace, and Andrew Orkin. Plus, you'll learn to analyze groundbreaking music cues from dozens of films like Arrival, Dunkirk, Chernobyl, Psycho, and more. You'll also get first-hand experience honing your compositional chops by writing leitmotifs to character descriptions, creating a musical lookbook for some fictional film projects, and writing full cues using reference tracks and cue sheets to scenes from real films and video projects that, yes, you can include in your demo reel. And folks, there really is so much to dive into in this brand new course that is, as I mentioned, live today. It is out. Intro to scoring for film and TV. Check it out at soundfly.com. And as a listener to this show, you can take a 20% discount by using the code PODCAST in all caps when subscribing monthly or annually to soundfly.com. And that's just about enough out of me. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs That Lived Beyond the Film. All right, folks, another themes. And variation coming at you. Mahaya Lee joining this episode as per usual. Mahaya, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well, Carter. How are you? That's great. Uh, you never sound sincere when you say that. but It's because uh, I'm like, do- <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's not get into it. But I do think that you should put a little more effort into coming up with an opening question for me. Like I you're think in I, the same house I'm in. If I was doing true. really poorly, you'd know. Yeah, I think there, maybe there's insincerity in the question. You know how exactly. there's sin- Thank there's you. sincerity Thank you. in the. All right, guest that I haven't and, and introduced why don't you yet. A very insightful <laughs> guest who so, I agree with. My just to push back on that a little bit. I, there's sincerity in the question that I want to be a conduit for the audience. What the audience wants to know how you're doing. So if I don't ask, then you know. Um, but you're doing great uh, as per usual, and I am doing great. I'm also pleased to be joined by Soundfly CEO and fantastic musician in his own right, Mr. Ian Temple. Ian, how you doing? 
Doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> this is your third episode, I believe. I know we did Epic Songs. What did we do after Epic Songs? And this was like... Whimsical. Oh, Whimsical, was, that's and, right. And interestingly was... enough, both of those actually relate to film music as well in some ways, yeah. right? So we're, yes. there's a little bit of a theme here, funnily enough. There is. And speaking of themes, today's theme is songs that lived beyond the film. We are kind of picking this one because we have a brand new course over at soundfly.com, Intro to Scoring for Film and TV. Now, Ian, you spearheaded this course, brought it to fruition. So I want to ask you, how did this course come to be, and what can users expect when they dive into Intro to Scoring for Film and TV? Yeah, um, yeah, this is a really interesting one and an unusual one for us at Soundfly because um, so I maybe shepherded, shepherded this course along, but um, it was actually a real group effort. We, you know, originally um, kind of reached out to one of our mentors named Tim Marion, who started kind of putting lots of the initial pieces together, involved some other mentors who work, who have a lot of experience uh, scoring for TV and film and other stuff. Um, you know, this is just a topic that people have been asking us about for years. Like ever since we started a music school, basically, people were like, um, yeah, but what about scoring? Um, and so yeah. it's clearly just like such a popular thing. And that makes sense to me because it's something that I'm really interested in as well. I mean, by, you know, you can tell because we did epic music and whimsical music and both of those are kind <laughs> of like, you know, you could almost imagine those as genres in a, in a music library. Um, uh, yeah, so so yeah, I and mean, it's just something that people have been asking us about forever. Um, it took us like four years to actually produce and launch this puppy. So um, it's been a it's been a labor of love. We we reached out to like some amazing um, composers, um, uh, have interviews with uh, you know a couple couple Emmy nominated and Oscar nominated um, film scores and TV scores in the course. We got their input. We got input from video game scores and and uh, ad music writers. We and just you know kind of took all this knowledge that we could gather and collect and, and funneled it into what we hope is like the most kind of interesting, engaging and educational course we could produce. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been really fun. I've, I've learned a lot along the way as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's one of those courses for me on the back end, going through it and, and editing and whatnot. Like I'm, I'm learning a lot going through it. Um, that's typically the case, I think, but this is definitely one yeah, of those, totally. those topics that like, I had no experience in really whatsoever. I mean, seeing a little bit, getting to play bass on the odd ad or something like that, but that's totally, uh, great to see it from this side. Um, because I, I don't want to prolong the, uh, the listening anymore. I'd love to dive into some music. We have some epic tracks to dig into, uh, for songs that live beyond the film. Of course, this is our first selection. I'm going to guess everybody's going to know it from the drop. Folks, we're listening to Gonna Fly Now. Of course, the Rocky theme from Bill Conti. Um, I didn't know the name of the track was going to fly now, honestly. I'll, I'll come clean on that. I just thought yeah, of it as either. like the Rocky theme. <laughs> this wasn't my first pick. My first pick was uh, Incredible Thoughts <laughs> from The Lonely Island. That song has only lived beyond the film in my own life, so it didn't make any sense. It's just one that I will sing randomly, so it's not really... I don't I know that's true, though. 
Well, I think it probably has, but there wasn't enough for me to latch on to yeah. in terms of doing picking it for an episode. I, I also thought they did of, that movie and then Michael Bolton like had the his Valentine's special or whatever. Yeah, that might right have after like I feel like it it made if nothing else, it made our generation maybe the generation below us care about Michael Bolton more than we had. Well he, he crushes it on <laughs> that. He's song. amazing. Incredible thoughts. Bill Conti. So he was working as a ghostwriter uh, on scores for Spaghetti Westerns when he was hired to compose Rocky. Like Rocky, famously super low budget film. We'll talk about that a little bit. And he just on a whim was like, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll do this. And then it became huge and like launched his monster career. He's known for um, scoring other films like Rocky 2, <laughs> Rocky 3, <laughs> Rocky 4, Rocky 5. <laughs> Rocky Balboa, um, but also Bad Boys, uh, The Karate Kid, The Right Stuff. He did the Terry right Fox stuff. film as well. Canadians out there probably uh, oh, respect that. Interesting, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's obscure. Some, I like it. Yeah. This piece uh, registered number fifty-eight on the American Film Institute's top one hundred songs of the last hundred years. I'm guessing you guys know what the first one was, or you want to take a stab at it if you need to guess. Is it like a Hard Day's Night or something? Nope. Mm. Is it um, Eye of the Tiger? Nope. You think old, older than that? Uh, older than that? Kesara um, Sara. No, that was yeah. that was that got or pretty high Christmas? up there. Nope. I'll uh, three, <laughs> two. Wait, I feel like. Uh, can you give you the composer? Give me the composer. Hmm. Or an era. What's an era? Golden age. Golden age of. Golden age. The composer oh, is very telling. Um, something. Oh my gosh, I don't know. All right, can oh, I, so, I'm gonna I would, tell you I would have said somewhere over the rainbow. That was the it's other. over the rainbow. Oh, it yeah, was. Oh, okay, rainbow. cool. Oh. Yes, number one. I snuck it in. Nailed right it. Yeah, we the buzzer. <laughs> oh my god, because yeah, I'm probably gonna cut out the like five minutes of thinking about it there. So we'll just like <laughs> yeah, just pretend like, I got it right away, it. please. Gonna fly now though. Nominated for best original song at the 49th Academy Awards, did not win. It hit number one, though, on the Billboard uh, Hot 100 chart in 1977, which is sick. I am mildly surprised by that, but... Yeah, that's shocking. That's surprising. funny enough, like, yeah. Maynard Ferguson released a version of this, uh, the trumpeter, um, before the soundtrack came out. His version peaked at 28, and then this one surpassed it. The lyrics, um, there's not that many, uh, basically can be broken down to, I mean, the evolution of his training, he's trying hard now, he's getting strong now, now he's going to fly now. So there you go. There's it, it, there's yeah. some like always ready and stuff too, but it's got a little bit of that much. musical theater thing going on where yeah. like, you know, there's so much energy, so you need to like run and then, mm -hmm. or like in musical theater dance or whatever. And then there's so much energy that you need music. And then there's so much energy that you need to sing or whatever it is, right? I can't remember. There's like yeah. a musical theater thing there where you're, you, you, 
you know, you dance, you sing, you play and or whatnot. Mm. Yeah. I think that's like a vocal thing too. Sometimes speaking of musical theater, you need the voices to come in to be like, it's been a long time since anyone's spoon fed you what's going on. So this is what just happened. <laughs> totally, totally. In case, in case you checked out. He's going to fly now. He's going to Time it. has passed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's totally, he's totally going to fly now. So, I mean, the main reason I picked this and and I think why it went beyond the film is it's become the quintessential montage um, piece. Totally, I think there's yeah. more. I mean, the other montage that comes to mind for me is Team America. The montage song from <laughs> Team America, literally just like behind the curtain, fourth wall. Like this is a montage. Love that track. But this totally. is when you think montage. I'm sure this is the first piece that comes to mind. Are there any others that come to mind for either of you? When you think like training montage, this is the first thing. That oh, it's one hundred percent. I think that like, there are. I like, can't think of anyone else. There, but there's like like the makeover montage or something like that. This would not be appropriate for. You know? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, there. So one of the experts we interviewed for the for the course, um, a composer named Andrew Ork- Orkin. Right. Andrew Orkin. Um, uh, we were asking him about like you know what are your favorite types of cues to compose, and he's like the montage. Every time, like if they let me score the montage instead of like using a pre-existing song or, or something like that, like that's my favorite because you can just like the music really takes such center stage, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So there are so many good uh, montage cues. Um, it would be fun to make a flypaper article or something on like the best ones, but this is definitely got to be up there. If not, it would. Of, yeah, I've been I've been loving the Incredibles soundtrack recently, um, <laughs> the score to that. And there's like a really good montage that the composer michael giacchino puts together for that too um and no. the intro to up right that's yeah that's that's, that's a montage, a montage for sure it's yeah another pretty sad michael but, giacchino uh, um yeah. score yeah and those are those are you know I mean, this is kind of an interesting um moment as well where like one of the things we were kind of talking about before this episode was like the difference like what is how to like songs work within the context of film music, you know? And I think one of the cool things about montages um, is that they're a great opportunity for songs, right? For songs specifically, because like in film scoring, in film music, you don't always have songs. You often have like more like cues or like, it's like seven seconds of music, you know, or like Mm -hmm. even like transitions or stingers or something like that, you know, Um, which can be one of the more challenging parts of, composing for a film or tv or whatever you're just like shoot i need to communicate something in six and a half seconds you know and then like hit that change um but a montage is a part is a moment when you can actually have a song even if it's like original for the film or it's pre-existing or whatever it is you can have like a full kind of structure and and some length and some music with some real meat to it yeah it's definitely a meatiest part of maybe some composing um i do obviously the scene uh, a few notes on that that this this uh, piece accompanies. It's Rocky's training scene, of course. It's allegedly based on uh, old Smoke and Joe Frazier's training. Um, you guys remember, he was the first man to knock out Ali. He also, like, the down goes Frazier calls, like, one of the most famous calls in boxing. That was George Foreman knocking uh, Joe Frazier out. Um, but, like, <laughs> some things from the training that, like, I don't think would be done today. First thing, I didn't notice this uh, when I first saw the movie, of course, but there's a moment... Um, Stallone drinks raw eggs like right at the beginning before he goes for his run 
Um, I remember that in Stand yeah, By so Me gross. as well. That's like the most vivid scene from Stand By that, Me okay. is the guy drinking <laughs> raw It's okay eggs. if that's what you take from Rocky. It's not okay if that's what you take from Stand By Me. I understand, me. but I was also like nine when I saw Stand By Me and that was the that's thing. Like I know there's more, there's obviously much more to that film than, than that giant guy drinking raw eggs, but that's, hey, our memories can't control them. That's just what I've got. So um, he also not recommended from this training. He takes a ton of body shots to the ribs. I don't think boxers do that a ton. Um, and when they're preparing for a fight, they'll spar, of course, but they're not just like getting hit like constantly. <laughs> and then of course the meat locker, the iconic meat locker, giant slabs of meat that he's just punching. Um, of course it finishes with the iconic scene running up the stairs now known as the Rocky stairs in Philadelphia. That scene was one of the first uses of the steady cam. Uh, patented by Garrett Brown. He operated the camera on that shot as well. I think he did it like he had a flight to catch too. So they did it super quick and just got on the plane and got out there. But yeah, they did it super quickly and they didn't get all the footage they want wanted or something. Did you read this, Carter? So they had to like, they had to zoom. They reversed oh, a clip. They did reverse some of they it. They reversed yes. some yep. of it. And so if you watch it yep. when he's like on top of the stairs, it's actually in reverse. Yeah. And it's like, wait, how is he running like that? But, you know, it, it kind of goes by quickly. <laughs> so you don't know it. But they actually yeah. reversed it just because they didn't get everything they wanted when they were shooting. Oh, man. The song itself, obviously, uh, be remiss if I didn't actually talk about the piece of music here we're listening to. There's a really cool reharm that I hadn't really ever thought of uh, in listening to it. So if you listen to the first very like the when the real main theme comes well there's the intro theme and then there's what i'm kind of considering the main theme i'm gonna play it just for you right now and we'll hear it in two different contexts so let's hear it this first time so it goes four chord to the five chord here and then coming up here we have a little reharm super simple but Love it. Right here. Four to the three, the flat three there, instead of the five. I hadn't noticed that before until I was like really, you know, actively listening to this and was like, whoa, that's really cool. We're going to take that theme and do a really simple reharmonization. Um, there's also like one of the sickest landings on a flat two major chord I think I've ever heard um, coming up right about here. Can I give you one more fast? <laughs> Please, anybody else? Anybody have any thoughts before we move on I'm to our sorry. next? Sorry, I just uh, I like a Google jackpot. Apparently, Bill Conti had never seen boxing Whoa. before he got hired for Good Rocky. Discovery. And so what he did was, like, watched, what is this? Yeah, no, he watched apparently, and this is this is the BBC That's quoting sick. him in an interview, and like his ten favorite Bill Conti's ten favorite facts about working on this. And uh he watched slow motion footage of boxers while playing Beethoven's Eroica Symphony. That's cool. And came to the conclusion that boxing is like ballet. <laughs> so that's yeah. where his head was. <laughs> it is sweet science. Um Yeah. yeah. I, I mean a couple of things. Opposite limbs though, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, a couple of things for me that stand out is number one, just how crazy it is that like, once again, you just have like very little music and then suddenly it like just explodes. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah. so much music, the most, music, the most yeah. music. And that's just such a kind of ballsy decision. That's such an like interesting and like, you know, just like blow it up decision. Um, and the fact that it worked as well as it did is wild. Um, I think, and then number two, just the fact that this is so much music. This song is like, you know, like the instrumentation is so boombastic and like, you know, mm -hmm. it's got that, this like, you know, kind of funk like vibe to it or whatever, but then it's got so, you know, all these different kind of instrumental lines. And, and then of course the vocals, which as you said, Mahalo were, were like his wife's coworkers or something like that. And he's just like, yeah, let's do it. Everyone get in. Hey, you in the sound room, come on in here. Can you play a flute sure you know like i don't know you know what i mean it just has that vibe there's just so much going on um and it's just that massive massive sound really interesting that yeah, yeah and it still holds up like if you watch the montage scene like you'll get hyped like there's just no way around it and i also think like though this score didn't win best original score i think it absolutely helped the film win best picture well I think that's it for Gonna Fly Now. Let's uh, move on to our next selection for the episode. Here we go. All right, Ian, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? This is the theme from Shaft um, by Isaac Hayes, and it is the theme from the movie Shaft. Um, there's so much <laughs> I need to talk about with this. It's gonna uh, forgive me in advance. Get your get your like editing hands ready because. Um, can I start with a huge digression? You start wherever you like. Rain me in if you need to, okay? <laughs> so obviously I've had my head in the world of film music now for a couple months, uh, you know, getting all the pieces of this course together. So I'm just like ready to talk. But uh, I want to kind of start by talking about something that we were kind of discussing leading up to this episode and that kind of I already talked about a little bit quickly, which is like the context for the word like song in film scoring. Because mm -hmm. um, I think it's really interesting and it plays into discussing this, um, this song slash cue. When Carter suggested this topic, which is songs that live beyond the film, I was like, oh, but that doesn't make sense for film music because most film music, we don't really think of them as songs. And Carter and Meher were like, well, a song can be anything, like, well, you know, mm -hmm. what, whatever. And I was like, oh yeah. Um, but it really got me thinking. Wait, hold on. <laughs> To be clear, I have a tighter definition of a song than most people do. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It has to be lyrical. Mm, what yeah, I'm saying is we have already abused and bastardized the word song yeah. enough on this podcast yeah. that one more way can't We mostly it. just want to keep using it in the title. That's it. Yeah, that's, I love that. Really Wait, thank you for so. clarifying that, Maya, because yeah. that is a very, very good clarification. No problem. <laughs> um, it's one of the themes of uh, theme and variation, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, We're stretching the, stretching the meanings here. But I think this is a really interesting... <laughs> interesting kind of area for discussion actually because the word song in film scoring actually has some pretty strong implications and it tells an interesting story about how film scoring developed oftentimes when you say song in regards to a film your mind will immediately jump to either pre-existing songs that were licensed for a film or original songs that were kind of written for the film 
And oftentimes those things are written by different authors or different creators, different musicians than the score. The score, on the other hand, is often kind of, you know, the underscore, the transition music, um, the original instrumental music that kind of creates the tone for the film. And there is kind of a difference there. And, and you can see it most obviously in like the Academy Awards. There's an Academy Award for Best Original Song and there's Academy Award for Best Original Score. And those are different things. And, and most of the time, they're different people. They're different like selections and stuff with a couple exceptions. And two of them we're talking about today, actually, which is, I think is, is really interesting. Um, Mejia's choice, which we're going to talk about in a minute, is one exception, which actually I think won in both categories is do you know that if that's right yeah okay cool yeah but i think part of that is the era right like kind of the jazz standard era more people wrote lyrical music and instrumental music so it kind of makes sense that that was more of a thing than anyway sorry yeah exactly but i think the interesting thing about that history is is you're 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 absolutely right during that time like songs well the other thing that's interesting about you know like the 1960s really is like songs started to take on more salience specifically in film scores. And I think in particular, maybe starting with like Que Sera in the 1950s, mm -hmm. then a very notable example that we'll talk about in a minute. And then like the Beatles, even in the 1960s with A Hard Day's Night, and then like The Graduate, which had all those kind of right. Simon and Garfunkel songs. There's like a dialogue which says like the score was like, lessened in importance and scores were like shunted to the side a little bit and instead everyone was talking about songs basically studios realized that like a hit song attached to a movie could make up a lot of profit right yeah um yeah. that was the realization and so there's kind of been this tension maybe ever since between like is this a movie that has hit songs or is this a movie that has like you know deep rich score and i don't think that tension has to exist but it just sometimes does you've seen it kind of pop up here and there. When John Williams came out and especially Star Wars and that became a hit record in its own right, and that was score, that kind of started to swing things back in the direction of kind of like score being important again. So there's kind of some interesting stuff there that kind of relates to, I don't know, like how this kind of craft developed. But the really interesting thing is that this song, the theme from Shaft, is another great example of something that was nominated for both best song and best score. And it was a pop songwriter or an R&B songwriter, Isaac Hayes, um, famous for both his own releases that he'd done and for writing lots of, or co-writing um, lots of other soul songs in the 1960s for Stax Records, um, mm -hmm. things like Soul Man and, and stuff like that. So, you know, kind of a star in his own right. And they, the filmmakers reached out to Stax Records specifically and we're like you know we want a, a kind of like r&b sound for this and isaac hayes was their star at the time so he he took it on but yeah i mean it's it's an amazing song and amazing score and it just like changed so much about film scoring and and music in general actually and filmmaking the movie shaft came out in 1971 along with kind of one other film that came out the same year that's called Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song by Melvin Van Peebles. I think that's what it's called. Sweet Sweetback's Badass Badass Song. song. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, which is considered like the first 
black exploitation yeah. film and then shaft was immediately after that and mm-hmm. uh sweet sweet bag is much beloved uh still um i've never seen it actually personally but shaft is kind of what took it mainstream and shaft was mm-hmm. you know this huge success um you know black director gordon parks black american writers and and stars and musicians and just kind of this really assertive entry into the mainstream by black american creators Prior to this, that wasn't the case too often. And and Shaft is the story about, you know, it's kind of like a, it's like a crime drama thing. It's about a private eye detective. It's very pulpy. John Shaft, the main character, is like charming and confident. He's got swagger and he like, he like outsmarts the cops um, and he like pushes back. He does his own thing. He's got his own code of ethics. It's just like this really fascinating and cool um yeah, once again, kind of assertive push of Black American creators into the mainstream that then kicks off the era of black exploitation films, which leads to hundreds of other films in the coming years and ends up like influencing, you know, so many modern films from obviously Quentin Tarantino and Spike Lee and, you know, so many others. But then the music, I mean, I should talk about the music as well, right? Like um, the soundtrack version annoyingly starts differently than the version in the movie. The version in the movie starts about seven seconds in, long slow shot of Times Square, there's no music and it's like, the camera's like traveling over these like movie theaters and and stuff. And then there's an open hi-hat. Yeah. And then it jumps into the And Isaac Hayes talks about how Gordon Parks came to him and was like, look, you got to get it into the character. You've got to like write this music for John Shaft. This is like, you know, he needs a theme. He's relentless. He's like charismatic. He's got swagger. And so Isaac Hayes is like, cool. His theme is going to be hi-hats basically, right? Like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. such a wild decision, you know, to like the first thing he wrote was the That hi-hat sound feels very synonymous with just New York City in general. And I can't figure out if it's like, is it the tradition this started or is it that it kind of mimics the sound of the subway or like what, what is that to you guys? Why do hi-hats make you think Uh, city, like specifically New York for some reason too? Trashy hi-hats new york in this mm. time trash everywhere <laughs> like, is it like the, it's still maybe the motion like the constant yeah, and the train there's too. definitely a lot of movement so like that yeah i buy it 100 yeah. percent. and like the pulse i also hear the subway tracks for sure yeah right it's subway it's not like a locomotive yeah yeah 100 percent. it's specific even though it sounds more like a locomotive yeah I think more people know the song than know the movie, um, mm-hmm. which might be unfortunate a little bit because I think the movie is actually really cool, really fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be, maybe it looks a little dated. It was made on like a $500,000 budget. Um, so like very, very low budget, um, but uh, is really good actually. It kind of, I think it holds up. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm, it is definitely. just so quintessential of this like specific vibe. And Isaac Hayes' voice. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. So it was nominated for Best Original Score. It won for Best Original Song, unless I'm flipping those, but I think that's right. But they almost wouldn't let it be nominated for Best Original Score because there was no notation. 
Isaac Hayes didn't write anything down. Mm -hmm. I think he was based in Memphis at the time and he's just kind of working with these amazing players and he's like, give me that, you know, give me that sound on the hi-hats and like, give me that, you know, this and like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, he wrote lots of the specific melodies come, that come in, obviously, but there's a looseness to it as well. And a lot of the cues in this, you get the sense that they weren't written precisely, right? Like the kind of climactic scene where Shaft is like trying to rescue this girl who'd been um, kidnapped has this like conga playing and these kind of almost, I mean, they're rhythmic parts, you know, like do 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 type things. It's very loose, like, you know, it's got this kind of, you get the sense basically that they were watching the film and playing along to it. And of course, the Academy Award being this stuffy kind of sometimes backwards looking thing with like, well, there's no notation that can't count as a score. But <laughs> but they did actually let it go through. Um, and so he was. We'll make an there. exception. This yeah. one time, Isaac, we'll make this. That's so stupid, uh, man. That's awesome, though. What a what a pick. Anything else, though, on on uh, the main theme from Shaft that either you want to touch on? Um, so final thing I'll leave you guys with is this quote from Isaac Hayes that I found. Um, you know, so this song builds quite a lot. It starts with just that hi-hat and then the wah, and then like all these different other parts kind of add in and stuff. So he says, uh, you cannot get there too quickly. Don't be anticlimactic. It's like foreplay. You've got to start off and just, you know, you can't put bread in a cold oven, you know? You got to take your time. You got to heat it up. So that's what I like to do with my music. I like to build it and build it into a maddening, exciting crescendo. Um, Wait, are damn. you quoting Isaac Hayes or John Shaft there? <laughs> that's a good question. That's a good... Isaac Hayes did actually try for the part of John Shaft. That's, well. that's amazing. For the part. So, um, and he, you know, the, Gordon Parks was like, get in that character. Uh, so he did. They should have made that movie too. Oh man, they should have. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, shall we move on to our final selection for the episode? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Here we go. <laughs> We are listening to Moon River as performed by Audrey Hepburn for the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Had either of you heard this version of the song before? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the chorus in part, because this that is makes a very... perfect sense. So I, I hadn't. I, I, I could put it that way. Like before kind <laughs> of, um, I'd never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's and before kind of doing lots and lots of research search for our film scoring course, I hadn't really, wasn't really familiar with the story of Moon River and hadn't really heard this, this version. I think that it's been covered so many times and arranged so many times. And I've seen the movie, but I, like, it's another one, like the other two movies that I saw as a kid and I haven't revisited in its entirety since then. So I, I didn't remember certain things about it. This performance is so much more like intimate and delicate and like, mm. I guess, honest, like almost flawed. 
you know, than I was ready for based on some of the covers that I've heard since then. But yeah, it is a piece that was composed by Henry Mancini with lyrics by my favorite lyricist of all time, Johnny Mercer, in Mm. 1961. Um, It did win the Oscar for Best Original Song, and it Mm. won two Grammy Awards, uh, Record of the Year and Song of the Year. It also won, well, the movie won the Oscar for Best Original Score. But since I really chose to focus on Johnny Mercer's involvement, that doesn't really impact him that much. So (laughs) we're just going to kind of gloss over that. You do hear that theme. I think it's one of the Mm -hmm. first things. I think it is the first thing you hear. I'm pretty sure it plays over the credits. Yeah, it's this theme that that kind of continues throughout the film. And that's what makes it this beautiful example of like score Mm -hmm. um, that kind of sometimes is underscore, sometimes is supportive of the action. And then also has this beautiful moment in the spotlight when Mm -hmm. she's actually singing it right outside her window um, Mm -hmm. on a stoop or whatever. And kind of it gets this very central part and, and kind of becomes this song that then becomes this hit song that then becomes a song that everyone does and then you know yeah, yeah it's it's really cool which she apparently had to fight for like there was mm. talk of cutting that um the sung moment the sung version from the movie and audrey hepburn had to kind of put her foot down and thank god for that because it's a really nice moment <laughs> carter you look deep in thought no just so just like henry mancini i didn't yeah you know, like all of his like the pink panther, pink theme, panther. Like yeah peter gunn like just monumental scores for sure i didn't even the pink panther theme i didn't even care that would have fit very nicely for this episode though as well yeah well and i i almost chose peter gunn theme for no. this as well because i think like i don't know if anyone's seen that show like i haven't seen it for <laughs> sure but like i certainly know but the, the song yeah boom 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 yeah you know with uh, as i found out recently with a, a young yeah. john williams playing piano um yeah, as the session musician for that i had no wow. idea he was a session player yeah, yeah. That's, that's so funny um, but this song's legacy is, it's hard to say that it, it's outlived Breakfast at Tiffany's because obviously that movie is a big part of our society in a lot of ways, even inspiring like its own song. But anyway, Moon River became the theme song for Andy Williams' TV show and was such a big part of that that um, his biography is even called Moon River and Me. Moon River and Me His version of the song was preserved by the Library of Congress. The song was used in a study on memory that was written about in the American Journal of Psychology. Interesting. In Johnny Mercer's childhood hometown of Savannah, Georgia, there's an area that was named Moon River in his honor. It's been a hit for countless artists, including people like Sarah Vaughn, Louis Armstrong, uh, Amy Winehouse did a version of it, Morrissey did a version of it, and so did R.E.M. Ooh, gonna have to listen to Morrissey. I'll be crossing you in style. Willie Nelson has one, James Taylor, and 
Maybe most recently, it was um, the song that won Jacob Collier his Grammy for Best Arrangement, oh, yeah. Instrumental or Acapella. I mean, the thing is, this melody is just so gorgeous as well, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, they're just... But it's quirky. Yeah, it's it, a yeah. quirky melody. And I think that that's... So that's kind of Johnny Mercer's... Well, that's one of his, like, billion gifts as a lyricist. But there's a lot of songs that when you hear them without the lyrics, they don't sound... Like, they have melodies that are obviously singable. Like, it would be difficult to set words to them. Um, Songs like Midnight Sun, which is super chromatic. Each star its own aurora borealis Suddenly you held me tight I could see the midnight sun He has this way of making, of choosing words that fit moments in a melody that maybe aren't typical and making them sound really natural. Mm -hmm. I'm crossing you in style someday. There's a big old sharp 11 against a major chord that plays a huge role in this song, which isn't, it's not like something you strictly need to avoid or anything like that, but it is a tricky note to make sound good in context, especially for a vocalist. Totally, yeah, yeah. Because, like, your ear is pulling you to the fifth or it's pulling you to the third. The sharp 11 feels tense and sticky, you know? And it's kind of an interesting thing because it sounds really beautiful. But if you listen to different versions of the song, or even just one version of the song, listening to every time that sharp 11 happens, like, it's the kind of note that makes you want to sing pitchy because your ear's pulling you so hard in other directions. So you either have to lean really hard into it or you have to kind of, like just gently, barely touch it. Like there's a Frank Sinatra version where he basically just speaks it. I'm crossing you in style someday. But the syllables that Johnny Mercer chose to put on those moments are these really nice things that you could do conversationally. Like crossing you in style. Cross is the sharp 11. That's not a belty syllable, right? Like it's naturally very airy. So it just, it doesn't stand out the way that it might otherwise. I agree with everything you just said. It's just like, and the the point of like perspectives being different, I feel very comfortable and not singing because I don't feel comfortable singing anything, but the sharp 11 just feels like just nice and natural to me. Um, I I think one of the reasons probably is because it does have that like tension to it, right? It like, it feels suspended a little bit or something like that. It's like, you know, often if I'm playing... And I land on a sharp 11, I'll just like stay there a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and then release or whatever. And I think yeah. the, the way that they release this, it's like rolling down a hill, you know? I'm crossing you in style someday. The melody is great. The harmony is interesting in the song, too. Its bones are very simple and don't feel particularly unique, but there's all these little tiny things that make it interesting. Like it kind of flirts with a simple major key and that key's relative minor Mm. because it uses all these cool secondary dominants. There's a series of interpolated two fives, Carter, 
mm, on uh, wherever wow. you're going, I'm going your way. <laughs> your ear goes on this little journey between like four different keys before it finally wherever resolves. You're going, I'm going your way. So what what else did Johnny Mercer write? By the way, I'm not. So a... Midnight Sun is definitely one that I recommend everybody check out. So many standards. I think yeah, Satin Doll. He yeah. wrote the lyrics on that. Oh, okay. Come Raider, oh. Come Shine, which mm-hmm. is oh, those are really great lyrics. I think he wrote Baby It's Cold Outside, which isn't as much of a feather in his cap as these others, in my opinion. He has this way of incorporating colloquialisms in his lyrics and making them sound like poetry. Like, he'll use the most beautiful metaphor, and then he'll have a line like, um, wherever you're going, I'm going your way. That's just a thing a person would say. Yeah. You know? yeah. The other thing he does is he uses, like, expected satisfying rhyme schemes and scansion, and then he makes these moves that are kind of parallel to my favorite musical moves. Like, he'll delay resolution. He'll take a rhyme, and he'll give you an extra couple of lines before you get to the rhyme you want, but then when you get it, it's super, super satisfying. Mm. Such a lot of world to see We're after the same rainbows and You know, you, you are incredibly busy, so, you know, making music, maybe you maybe you don't have as much time for it as you like. Another kid on the way, all kinds of stuff going on. Another course on the way, of course. You put a lot of work into this course, and uh, it's launching. It's out now um, by the time folks are listening to this. But what are you doing musically these days? Cooking up some stuff, making a little music, Sontag Shogun, what's going on with you guys? Um, I already know all these answers. Not all of them, but yeah, the floor is yours to share anything you'd like musically. Yeah. Um, well, musically, I've just been really enjoying playing with scoring ideas recently, to be honest. Mm. I mean, this happens every time we make a new chorus that I like, I, I kind of tend to like stumble into that course and, and with it like head first and then just like end up there for a while. And, but I've, I've loved scoring for a while. So this is like not surprising that I'm just, I, you know, I bought Spitfire Audio's BBC nice. Symphony Orchestra and I've just been playing with that like every single day. And you did, you have scored a short film i believe or a feature yeah before, i've right? scored a couple things we did with my with my trio sontag shogun we've done mm-hmm. a couple kind of art um films um and then on my own i did a, a short documentary um produced by my 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 brother's uh company optimus mm-hmm. productions um and a filmmaker um uh that he works with and um that was great that that kind of won a couple awards i think in, in the festival circuit but that was a while ago i haven't had much time um you know musically most of my kind of energy creative energy goes into sontag shogun which is this kind of a experimental trio um certainly cinematic leanings we do a lot of kind of storytelling through our music i like to think even though it's instrumental music um mm-hmm. sontag shogun is in japan right now playing shows i am not with them 
which is very sad um, because, uh, uh, well, it's not sad because I have a baby on the way, so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm very happy about the baby on the way, but um, sad that I had to skip Japan. For yeah. It. Um, and yeah, and then I'm hoping to kind of record some new music. I think in particular, the combination of the course we relaunched in the summer with Ryan Lott, that was all about sound design and has really lit up some parts of my process and helped me kind of yeah. discover some new ways to kind of voice things I've been trying to voice. Um, the combination of that with the film scoring has me kind of working on a few things for Sontag Shogun, I think, in the coming months that will hopefully lead to a, an, an album and and maybe even some scoring, some more scoring projects with Sontag Shogun. So we'll see. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to listen to every song mentioned on this episode, be sure to check out the Spotify playlist in our show notes. And remember to head to soundfly.com where you can break into the brand new course intro to scoring for film and TV. And listeners of Themes and Variation can use the discount code PODCAST, that's PODCAST in all caps, to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription at soundfly.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.